welcome to the Incandid Fashion Podcast. Hi everyone, this is Isoke Hongiwoyi and this is my podcast, Incandid Fashion. With my background in multi-brand retail, media, fashion and communications, I've always been passionate about African fashion and beauty and super curious about the inner workings of businesses, especially in fashion, beauty and lifestyle. I like to get granular about what drives these industries and learn from the career journeys of entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs who are making major strides. I'll be grilling my guests on their work journeys, how they got their big break and practical tips on how to build a brand from the continent. Join us for candid conversations with founders, visionaries and exciting creators working in fashion and beauty today. Hello, I'm Isaka Ogiwai and you're listening to the Incandid Fashion Podcast. Our guest today is Mimi Udwezi. Mimi is a multifaceted executive with specialties in marketing and managerial accounting, business law, tax planning and finance. She studied at the University of Massachusetts where she backed a degree in marketing and communication and a minor in psychology. Mimi went on to get two MBAs, one from Essex Business School where she obtained an MBA in luxury retail and strategy and more recently an MBA in marketing from the Northwestern University Kellogg School of Management. Obviously, you can tell Mimi is a go-getter. Prior to her current role at Target, Mimi garnered work experience from firms such as PwC, where she works as a tax associate. Mimi has also worked with the IRS as a revenue agent and as a senior tax consultant at Cherry Beckert, LLP. She moved to Target in 2017 when she kind of, you know, figured out that wasn't what she wanted to do. And she rose through the ranks to become a senior buyer in beauty in 2019. Welcome, Mimi. Hi, Mimi. Thank you so much for joining us today. I know you're super busy, so I really appreciate it. Of course. Happy to be here. Thank you. So let's jump right in. I just want to talk a little bit about like your background. How did you get started? Where did you go to school? Uh, sure. I, I mean, I've had kind of like moved around quite a bit. So I went to school at the University of Massachusetts and um, studied marketing and communication, but then ended up getting a master's in accounting. So I worked in accounting for a couple of years, decided it wasn't what I wanted to do with my life. And then I went back to business school um, and then started working at Target as a buyer. That's a complete career switch. Oh, wow. Here I am. So straight after business school, you went to Target. So what was your very first job? Was that in accounting? In life or like after graduation? Okay, well, I guess in life first. And then you can (laughs) tell me like your first real job. (laughs) My very first job in life was working at McDonald's. Oh, nice. Um, so I was probably 15 or something like that. But um, my very first, I guess, professional job was um, working as a financial advisor. Um, yeah. Didn't last very long because it was right after I graduated and I was very young. So I don't think anybody wanted an uh, under 21 year old advising them on their name. <laughs> About their money. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, how did you get started in beauty? So, when you left business school I'm assuming was Mm -hmm. it like uh, oh you know beauty is where I want to work or was it I wanted to work at Target no it's neither of those things actually I wanted Mm. to when I went into business school I was very set on working in the entertainment industry I um recently well not that maybe like four or five years ago before that I had um completed uh my NYSC in Nigeria and I had 
uh, worked at a radio station and I was like realizing how much I did like, you know, in the creative spaces, um, how much more energized I was in those spaces and wanted to kind of go into that world more professionally. And so when I went to business school, I was thinking I was going to go work for, you know, like a Spotify or MTV or Viacom, one of those things. And that's mm-hmm. where I wanted to be, um, specifically music. But through my time, um, while I was there, I was leading like the media and entertainment club. And I quickly realized that a lot of um, these companies who are looking to hire MBAs um, are looking for people to come into the companies and work more in the finance, like deals and mm-hmm. basically everything I was trying to get away from. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, Target kind of happened by by chance, honestly. I don't think I ever knew what the buying job was or like mm-hmm. never thought about it, quite honestly. And so it was an open interview um, for internships. And I was like, well, I shop there. I like shopping there. I'll sign up for that. And I went there and I um, had a conversation with the first person that interviewed me happened to be a former SVP over the um, music at the time. Mm-hmm. So she had told me this like funny story regarding like an artist and the effects. And I was like, wow, I've never really thought about this. So for someone who's a career switcher, this might actually be perfect because it felt as though when you were buying, you got to see what, how everybody ran their business, right? Versus mm-hmm. just one company. Mm-hmm. And I thought for a career switcher, that would get you up to speed a lot faster because okay. you see the different ways. And so I came in there. I, I applied, I got the job, and I thought I was going to be going into entertainment because I, I was very clear that's what I wanted to do. <laughs> and instead, I was put in beauty. And I was um, a little bit upset about that over the summer. <laughs> but it worked out because obviously, um, maybe I wasn't thinking that big at the time, but like media and beauty are so intertwined that yeah. you get a lot of that still working in that space. Yeah, that's that's really cool because I think I've always um, it's something I've like always enjoyed about like fashion and beauty, right? Because I feel like it has such it has so many tentacles. So you can work in entertainment, you can you get you have visibility in like film and music and stuff. So it's definitely pretty cool. So you work at Target now, and you're I think you're a senior beauty buyer. Uh huh. So how? did you like what does your role actually entail like what like for someone who doesn't actually really know what a buyer does like what does a buyer a bc buyer target do like what is your typical day like um yeah i mean that's a good question i think it's a fair one i get asked that a lot i'd say there's honestly no real typical day per se but the best analogy i can come up with is you know every buyer has a category, a couple of categories that they're managing. And it's honestly thinking about it as if you had a small shop mm-hmm. um, and you were the owner, you're the CEO and you're the person that um, you're the person that like gets to talk through everything that happens. Right. So from saying like, how do you price things? Uh, what's the person down the street doing? Do I need to react to that? What's happening to the inventory? Where is it? Am I going to get it? Like, there's a problem with the item, like all those things and more. Um, it's really, really what it is that you're doing um, just within one department versus the entire store. And that's yeah. really what the buyer's role is. And you're kind of like you're owning the business, business, basically. Yeah. Okay. So a lot of my audience is like indie BC brands and new fashion brands and stuff like that. So 
how do you even like if you're an indie brand and you want to get into target how do you start where do you like how do you even go about getting a meeting with a buyer um i mean i i it's hard to i can't necessarily speak on behalf of target right but i can say that um for people just trying to get into retail in general um yeah. i think there's a lot of different things where you have to there's this thing where i tell a lot of people sometimes when i work with that you have to be able to walk before you start trying to fly right so there's a lot of different things that come with moving into a big retailer that you might not necessarily be ready for so how strong is your supply chain how much cash do you have um are you ready to there's a lot of there's a lot of things that come with working within a bigger corporate environment where there's not as much handholding. So do you have the personnel to keep up with all the demands and keep up with um, all the requirements that come, who can understand and dedicate to that. And so um, these are just things that I think uh, people have to ask themselves and answer honestly. Um, if you come in somewhere and it does better than you expected, how, how quickly can you ramp up? Because if you can't ramp up quickly enough, you might be a success, but you always have to think of these shelves as like renting space. Mm. And so from a buyer's point of view or a retailer's point of view, if you are renting space, I have this space that I can sell, but there's nothing on it to sell. That is just a waste of my space, mm. right? And so even if you're say out of stock because you did so well, but it took you another month or six weeks to get back in, that's six wasted weeks that we can't get back. And mm. so it's like, hey, I don't want to keep this in there because they're just wasting my space. So like, those are things I think that um, people just need to think about just because you don't always get multiple chances in there. And sometimes your runway is not as long as you might think. Mm -hmm. um, but aside from that, if you feel like you're in a good place, you've gone through all this, maybe you've been D2C for a while and you mm -hmm. feel like you've understood a lot of those things. There are just multiple ways um, that people get noticed. Um, I think people when pre-COVID um, and pre-pandemic, the when we are out and about a little bit more, um, you know, you have people going to trade shows. So if you find trade shows that are applicable to the industry that you're in, that are big ones, sometimes that's a good place to be. Um, people get noticed if they have like social media that's mm -hmm. like trending. It's because you have people who want to keep an eye on like what is going on in, like keep an eye on pulse and trends, right? Especially mm -hmm. within beauty. So if you're getting a lot, if your marketing is on point, your community is big, that's something that gets noticed. Um, things come in through there. There are some brokers um, also that will introduce new brands. And so it's a variety of variety of different ways. Um, I don't necessarily, sometimes people try to like cold email. I probably delete like 80% of the ones that I do. <laughs> you know? I'm just being real. Um, sometimes there've been, there's sometimes, you know, I mean, there's always going to be that one lucky person where you're like, oh, before I'm about to hit delete, I'm like, actually, no, this looks interesting. So okay. um, I don't really recommend that as a as a way. Because, yeah, I guess just um, the share volume, right? The share volume, you can't you can't really manage that, you know. And sometimes you definitely do get a lot of people who are clearly mass emailing because I can't <laughs> count the number of times where I've gotten hi, Mimi. You know, so excited to see what you're doing at you know this other retailer, and I'm like, oh, that's not me. <laughs> So I know that beauty works pretty differently from fashion in terms of the split and you mentioned shelf space. So 
imagine that you know this is a new brand can you tell us a little bit about the process so they've gotten into we're in we're in target now what happens next if you're in the stores mm -hmm. um what specifically are you talking about i mean about just then? in terms of like what would an operational you know when you're talking about like the shelf space and replenishment and you know what what are the things that they need to be thinking about in terms of like okay assessing the fact that they're ready for retail essentially yeah i mean i think like i said i think the number one thing is just understanding your supply chain right mm -hmm. so having a strong supply chain you can't all the marketing in the world all the the best placement in the world all of that is not going to help if there's no product there to sell mm -hmm. and so i think that's the number one thing um that any um any any brand should be thinking about right before they start moving into like mass retail um i think also figuring out what your marketing plan is because sometimes i say getting into the store is like the wedding right mm -hmm. so you have the wedding day but then the marriage, marriage just begins <laughs> yes so you get in the store and then what happens next like, so what's a good sell through like what, what would you consider for a new newer brand i'm assuming that you buy smaller volumes i guess to test at first so what would you say is like a good sell-through what would what would a successful sell-through be 60 um i'd one? say really, uh, honestly it varies mm -hmm. um so everyone is just going to kind of benchmark to whatever the total cat whatever category that they're um owning okay. does um and so that will also shift depending on what's happening in the like macro environment as well so mm -hmm. there's no fixed I don't think there's there's no magic number or something where it's like hey if you can hit this or whatever that's then you're good to go it's just you have to be that and this is where i'm saying um some of the work that needs to be done is like you have to also understand the category you're in mm. are you where do you place yourself relative to everything else because it is that is kind of how you're you're um evaluated it's like how is the entire category doing yeah. and then how where do you where do you fit in within that and are there other things that fit in better okay. um, and it's not always about just velocity right sometimes like a brand comes in and it has a different reason for being and so there's something else that it's adding and so it's a big it's a total big picture in okay. terms of um what does the total assortment um look like and what role are you playing within it okay that's that's pretty interesting because i know that obviously there's a big conversation around things like sustainability and stuff so i can see what you mean about reason for being being a bigger you know like sometimes about the story so you know you've mentioned that um you look at sort of i guess multiple places to figure out what what you want to buy what what is interesting to you but just to get a bit granular right obviously the some brands are coming from like a dtc background obviously some brands have just like a lot of social media bars or press or whatever so what is important like if somebody let's say if someone even called emails you right and you're like okay i'm actually gonna stop and this is an interesting email what jumps out is it data is it the press is it social media like what is what are the things that you would say are like i don't want to say important but like come across as impressive to you like what are the things that you kind of factor in, into that kind of decision yeah i mean i think that it's it's i i know i'm going to sound like a, a bit of a lawyer when i say this but it really does depend right because it depends on um 
sometimes something comes in and it's like, wow, like their packaging is amazing. Like, but that matters if like I'm looking at whatever I buy and the category just has what I consider dull packaging. And so I'm mm-hmm. like, this is what I'm looking for. Right. Mm-hmm. But like something can come in and the packaging is amazing, but everything else within the assortment is amazing. So it doesn't really stand out. Right. So mm-hmm. that's where I'm saying like these things, it differs depending on what, what business you're going into the time of year, what's really relevant and things like that. But I'd say a few key things, I think if you're trying to, um, if you're trying to like have your business be looked at and said, Hey, this, I really want this considered. It's like, Mm -hmm. again, what's your supply chain? Like (laughs) understanding that I I can't, I can't emphasize how important that is. Right. What is that like? What's your marketing plan? How are you going to raise awareness? Right. Mm -hmm. You can't say when I say at the beginning of the marriage, it's like you come in and um, your retailer is not going to do everything. for you, Right. So what is your plan to to let people know? Yeah. They've given you the space. How are you going to let people know that? Hey, here's my address. Come come visit me. Right. You know, Um, and you can't be reliant on, (laughs) on the other people to do that. for you. So understanding that understanding people who have a plan, um, Sometimes there are a lot of people who have, there's a lot of passion. I see a lot of passion in the industry, mm. but not as much um, strategic thought. Okay. Um, so having someone where there is a strategic plan and it's not just like, hey, yeah, I made this thing and it's like great and people like it, yeah. right? Like, how is that going to be sustained over years and over months mm. and things like that versus just being a nice thing for right now and fades out? Yeah, that, that makes a lot of, that makes a lot of sense. Um. <laughs> It's so funny because it's bringing me back. Like when I was in retail a few years ago, it was such a problem because we're working with a lot of emerging brands, and you'd mm-hmm. be like, "Yes, I'm now here. I've made it." And it's like, guys, um, is that is that all you're gonna do? Anything <laughs> else? That's yeah. And it became a problem because you were like the marketing channel, the sales channel, and it's like, guys, you got to actually contribute as well. So let's talk okay. a little bit about trends, right? So. Mm-hmm. In the last couple of years, there's been a lot of buzz about KBT and CBD and all the stuff and ingredients and all that kind of stuff, right? So I feel like it's important. I mean, obviously, in things like fashion and consumers and press and retailers, that's that's kind of how we kind of push the cycle of newness, right? But how much do trends play in, like, buying beauty? Um, so I think it plays a little, again, (laughs) depending on what side of beauty you are, um, it's going to have more or less impact, right? So obviously if you're in cosmetics and things like that, trend is very important. It's a very trend-led business. Mm. If you are in, um, even some parts of skincare, right? With the ingredients and things like that, that's also something that's a little bit important. In hair, um, it's important, but it's not the only thing, um, because people do like stability and like especially if you're talking about textured hair where yeah. you want to find what works for you and you're not trying to try something new every five yeah. minutes. Right. And so I think there is a different level of impact depending on what side of the spectrum you are with how trend driven the category is versus mm-hmm. not. I just but realized, I, I didn't ask you, what category huh? are you, what category do you actually buy for? Um, so I cover uh, bits of hair, a bit of color, bits of um, appliances. So quite mm-hmm. a few, few couple of things. Okay. Um, I'd say that um, one thing, if we're talking more so in like up and coming or new brands, is if you, if you are someone who is leaning in heavily into trend. Okay. Um, it's just to think about the 
capital outlay mm-hmm. that that then means. So you're bringing in things, you're discontinuing them, and then you're going to bring more things in and this marketing that has to go around all those things. So it's going to be very cash intensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and how do you plan to support that over a long period of time? Mm-hmm. And so um, I personally... I mean, I think I I, I I want things to be lasting, right? So mm-hmm. I'd rather have a stable kind of like business where this is where the core of what's driving a lot of what's happening. And then you can kind of play with the trend and have that as like an ancillary thing that's added on. So okay. it really does, again, depend on some places you don't have the, you don't, you're not afforded the opportunity to do that because mm-hmm. it's just a very trend driven business. Um but it's just one thing to think about. Yeah. That makes sense. So we know that African brands, especially ones that are based on the continent, face a whole bunch of different challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that there are also opportunities, right? So like in the mm-hmm. last couple of years, you're seeing brands in both fashion and beauty kind of breaking, um, breaking through, whether that's brands that are I guess maybe just buying like ingredients from the continent mm-hmm. and some of them are actually based there, right? So what advice would you give to a brand who's trying to build a business from the continent, but like build a global business via sort of wholesale channels like Target and other major retailers? What would you say is like the first thing? I mean, you've spoken to a supply chain. Based on, because obviously, like I said, challenges from the continent. What are the things that you would think that, you know what, this is something you definitely have to think about before embarking on this journey? Yeah, I mean, I'd say supply chain is definitely a big one, but I won't belabor that point. Um, I'd say, you know, understanding once you start dealing with things that are um, import, different time zones, all of those types of things. Um, a lot of businesses that are, um, you know, in different various countries in Africa, sometimes um, you're working with really small teams mm-hmm. um, who have to do a lot of the, you know, because, I mean, depending on where you are, sometimes there's issues with how much do you trust your team. And mm-hmm. like, so people tend to try to keep the circle a little bit small and yeah. do a lot of the work. So I think it, it would behoove you to have some sort of partners that are kind of like in the like on ground generally, right? In mm. wherever it is you're trying to expand to because they can be a little bit more nimble. They can help understand some of the things there and having the right partners or the good partners to help you do some of that work. I mm-hmm. think that's something that might help um, ease the transition. Mm-hmm. Um, and and obviously, you know, you have to do your due diligence to make sure you're working with a reputable partner, wh- whatever it is, right? Mm. And I would say on a more tactical level, like, what would it take for you to have some sort of um, distribution facility on this side, mm. right? Whereas, because we all kind of know that um, when you're thinking about infrastructure, things are not always stable, mm. right? You have, I don't know, there's a power outage or there's yeah. something that happened and import of this yeah. was now banned they for whatever reason. So, DHL can't bring it today. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all it's of those really things. Expensive, so, to be honest. It's also really It could really be, exactly. Yeah. And so, Maybe it might be helpful to have a small like stock safety stockpile over mm. here because um, you're not always trying to do this just in time thing, and especially if you're thinking about um, something that's more mass. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know sometimes people are able to go on a smaller scale and do things um, 
even if it's like D2C yeah. um, online, sometimes that's a, there's a little more flexibility there. Yeah. So I... And I think I people are a little bit more patient online as well because, you know, it's it, like mm-hmm. you can craft your story and be like, yeah, you know, we make it just for you and da 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 so people are a little bit more willing to like wait a little. Exactly. I think I think there's a little bit more flexibility there too. Okay, so let's go back to you. Um, so when you started out, what is one thing that you wish that you knew? When I started out in this role? I mean, in general, I guess, let's just say the world of work. In the world of work. <laughs> oh, this is going to be so, so basic. I'm going to go all the way back and I think... Um, one thing I wish I knew um, when I started out, because I, I grew up primarily in Nigeria and when mm-hmm. I was in college and trying to figure out what it was I wanted to do, mm-hmm. um, I came in as undergrad as a psychology major. Mm-hmm. And at that time, um, I guess, I don't know, it's just the way a lot of us sometimes were brought yeah. up. If you studied math, you're a mathematician. Yeah. If you studied economics, you're econo- you know what I mean? Yeah. And so I was like, well, if I'm psychology, I have to be a psychologist. And like Nigerians don't really go to like psychologists. I don't know where I want to live after graduation, mm-hmm. but I don't want to close the door. Yeah. And so then I switched my major. So like just understanding, having a better understanding of how you can take certain things to apply it to yeah. other things. Yeah. And it's not as linear. Yeah. Um, I feel like would have probably put me in a different place than where I am now. Yeah. It's really interesting, you know, because I was talking to my sister about this a few weeks ago. And we're just talking about, like, you know, England and America. Like, in England, it feels like at 17, you have to, like, know exactly what you want to do because Mm -hmm. you're going to be in uni for three years and then you're going to go out and work. And it's like, guys, I don't know what the fuck. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just trying to figure it out because, like, I ended up doing law. Mm-hmm. But I initially wanted to do economics, but in my second year of my IB, my international baccalaureate, they were like, oh, sorry, you did the wrong math. And this is because at that time, they weren't like, they weren't sure, because like, the IB was just kind of gaining ground, so they weren't actually sure what like a AAA, what the equivalent was. So people just, just throw out all sorts of offers that make no fucking sense. And it's like, oh, you know, you want like higher math. It's like, what the fuck do I need higher math for? But yeah, and I was like, well, I'm definitely not going to go back. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. I was like, right. oh, what else can I do? I was like, okay, law, fine, done. And that's how I made the decision, which is so annoying. Because <laughs> obviously right. I went in my first semester and I was like, okay, I can do this, but do I like it? I do not. Not right. at all. Like, I know people who I graduated with who, like, really love law. Like, they love the, like, the nuance and kind of, like, breaking down things and, like, interpreting. And I was like, this is, I mean... To be honest, I was traumatized by some of the cases that we did. Like we started, mm-hmm. like this, literally, like you know, when you talk about common sense justice versus the you know the letter of the law, and right. I just I found it infuriating, and I was like, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't do this. This makes no sense. This can't be the rest of my life. And I wish I knew at that time that things like entertainment law, this, that, or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But I never right. really kind of looked into it. I mean, I finished, so I might still, because it's so funny, one of my friends who's like, uh, she works for like a law organization here, but not as a lawyer, but she's going back to qualify this year. And I was like, huh, you know what? I might do it. I might, but I don't know. I don't know. It's just one of those things. I just find it like, that was a random tangent, but back to you. So (laughs) as a... Like, I guess as a professional, 
what do you think is your what is your biggest win so far and what do you count as like your biggest achievement you're like oh i'm so proud of myself this is me um i, do, I think that pushing some of the conversation so I, I work i'm in beauty now but prior to that i was uh, actually in otc in women's health um and i think just some of what i was what does that mean sorry there. women's health so the otc women's health what is OTC? OTC over the counter. Over the counter. So okay, just making it was more, yeah. So more so, well, I used to call my desk the below the belt. So mm-hmm. you know, um, fem care, family planning, like all that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, and so just pushing some of the com- some of the com- ways we were able to push the conversation to just normalize some of the categories, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's something that stays with me in terms of what we were able to to do there, right? So. No one talks about things like incontinence, right? And mm. how you think about that as something, um, I don't know, my grandma or something, mm. or great grandma even sometimes. But average age of onset for women is like, I think it's 31. Of so incontinence? Wait, well, yes, because... At 31? Um, Are you kidding? See, that's, what, that's exactly what I'm saying. Because people think of it as like, oh, I'm like super old and I have no control over um, movements and things like that. And yeah. that's not really always the case right because a lot of women especially when you get closer to that um, childbearing age right it might just be you your um there's just like a little bit like lessening of control that you just have and that's pretty common but people mm. don't talk about it well fair so I can then if it happens to you it's like an unmentionable that you don't mm. talk about so um just having some of those things and trying to work with uh, how we are depicting it and some of the work that uh, vendors are doing there was just really impactful, I feel like. Wow. That's amazing. I wouldn't, like, you actually just blew my mind right now because I <laughs> literally never thought about that. But I think when I think yeah. about especially friends who've had kids, mm-hmm. you know, and you know those things like, you know, when you laugh too hard, you pee it. Exactly. <laughs> it's that, no, but that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Yes. And you, I guess, like, you don't think of it in that way, right? It's how it's, right. how it's framed. Wow. Um, okay. So what is your biggest failure and what did you learn from it? Ooh, biggest failure. <sighs> That's a good one. I mean, I think there's always the, as a buyer, I'd say there's always, you have the things where you're really excited about and like, I'm bringing this in and this is going to be great or whatever. And it comes and it doesn't do well. And it doesn't perform. And I, yeah. I think it's always a reminder that like, you are not the average, right? Yeah. And that's a good thing to keep as, um, I think any buyer who's out there just remembering that all the time for your category. Um, you're not buying for yourself. Mm -hmm. You're not buying, um, based on what you like. You're just kind of thinking about like all the people out there and sometimes you're in the minority, you know? And so, it seems like all oh, such a no-brainer to you and other people are like what is this where's my other thing you know so <laughs> <laughs> i think that's been a good constant lesson um to it helps to remind you to keep that perspective when evaluating products yeah yeah so piggybacking off of that what brands are you excited about they don't have to be brands that you're buying or that you're even, you know, have anything to do with your category. So this is not like a political, like target thing. Just you personally, what brands and beauty are you excited about right now? Um, well, I have to think about that for a second. Um, I think I'm in, I'm excited by some of the stuff that's coming up, right? I see a lot, especially when you think about um, just like 
people from all the various African countries too, mm-hmm. who are starting to bring um, some of the things that other people have been using and mm-hmm. bringing them into mainstream and mm-hmm. seeing some of that there has been interesting for me to see. Mm-hmm. I'm excited also for, um, and this is not, ta- not talking necessarily like in the US, but like say for example in Nigeria, mm-hmm. how I see the landscape and, you know, go back 10 years or so, or 10, 12 years, and everybody wanted to have Mac, 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 mm-hmm. Mac, right? It was mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. That's what everyone was using. And like today I definitely see way more people leaning into some of the nigerian owned nigerian brands and that's more standard like even the um like makeup artists and things using that so Mm -hmm. i look at that and it makes me happy right because it's like um we understand that these people are creating with us in mind um and it's there so like why not right because it's become it's like considered cool now yeah um and so that i look at and i think um I, I want to see more of that yeah. as we keep going. It's actually qu- kind of fascinating. Like, and I think it's shifting everywhere, right? So, like, music, mm-hmm. movies, fashion, beauty. Because basically, I... Because when we started, like, Liberty Marche, which is, like, ages ago, it was, like, a Portobello-style market. Mm-hmm. And it was all Nigerian, like, Nigerian-made, Nigerian-owned, that kind of stuff. And it was, like, revolutionary because everyone was still very much, like, you know imported x and y and z i only shop when i go to london da 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 da. so i feel like the generation that came after us really benefited from that and kind of just keyed into it and now it's so like it's so normal like if you look at like nigerian box office for example yeah there's so many movies that like you would expect to do really well but they're just like okay (laughs) but nigerian movies are like Far yeah. and away, you know, doing better is actually kind of wild, but I love it for us a lot. I mean, 100%. Like, I, I would say, you know, when I was, like, 14, 13 or whatever, like, you go out and things like that, it was always mostly either British or, like, American music mm-hmm. and things like that. And honestly, a lot of times today, like, when at least when we still used to kind of go out, but when do you go out, like... They play American music for too long. People mm. are like, it's, 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 listen, there's a specific American set. You know, it's just like, yeah. okay, just let's just let's just like change the tempo for a little bit and then straight back to Nigerian music. And it's so funny because exactly. I will never forget this is like this is I mean, I haven't been back in a while, but I said like four years ago. And we were somewhere and my friends were like, Oh god, please do I don't like this DJ. He's always playing American music and I was yeah. like, Oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, it was hilarious, and I love it. I love it for us a lot because I think that it goes a long way in terms of like decolonizing your mind or whatever. Because we really yeah. prize our own now above you know everything else. I mean, I think we're still a work in progress in some categories, and obviously like different age groups. But yeah, we're definitely. I mean, I think that once um, it's a work in progress, and I think the lack of infrastructure doesn't always help the progress move, right? Mm-hmm. Because, you know. You also want to pay for reliability and yeah, things like that. Yeah, so yeah. I think as that continues to get better, mm-hmm. then you'll see people lean into it more. Yeah, definitely. Because there are things that you can do, like even like as a fashion brand, as a beauty brand now that are, that it's basically like you're piggybacking off things people did 10 years ago, seven years ago to kind of build that internal industry infrastructure. Because like now I think that there's such a clear sort of roadmap, you know, if you want to start a fashion brand or a beauty brand, or this is clearer, right? There's so many like, there's like for example like i knew the assembly it's like a creative industry sort of like incubator kind of thing 
so they do a lot of education and you know so it's just it's it's not as opaque it's not as scary because you can just like go out there and be like you know this person did this 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 so i can do this 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 and start you know it's just it's really heartening to see where we've come how far we've come basically i think that's the that's a summary so i think my almost final question is <laughs> what has changed in your role since the pandemic started like yeah. is there anything like in terms of your approach to work or just like operationally in general um what has changed i think um it's still a lot of the same there's more demand obviously with um there were shifts over the pandemic in terms of what people were looking to get you know okay. with, um just with you're not going out you're not doing things like that i think there's been obviously as a country the united states has a huge focus on like black owned and trying to find out um what what else is out there okay. um, but i do think that there's just more um i'm looking for things that can last the test of time too mm -hmm. um, i think as we a lot of people struggled um you know ports were congested i don't know if you ever saw like some of the pictures around Christmas or what yeah. looked like with everyone um, buying online. This was a huge shift to digital, um, clearly just because we were home. And so seeing some of that spike, I think having brands who had strong digital presence mm -hmm. and who were like digitally savvy, like yeah. those things matter more because more and more and more, that's where the guests are like shifting to, right? So yeah. now people are like, oh, I discovered I can just click online and things show up in my my um in my house and maybe before i used to claim that i used to like the shopping experience yeah. but now that i have yeah. to do this yeah. for like three yeah. months i'm like yeah it's not that bad you know <laughs> and so i think that there's going to be more i don't i don't think that it's necessarily going to be a that it was just a fad right i think yes more people shifted to digital i think it's going to probably stay a little bit more elevated than pre-pandemic um, yeah i i order things more online than i used to um For sure. just because i don't know got used to it exactly yeah. it's like so easy so um i think that's probably the biggest okay biggest shift if you could change anything about the beauty industry to improve it basically on the continent or globally what would you do blue sky anything at all um ooh, if i could change anything in I think that this is just, this is very random too. <laughs> I think that um, if we could, sometimes I feel like if we could, I, I think that if, if, if we have, let people have the ability to mm -hmm. sometimes focus on um, a little bit more because I think there's a, we, we see this phenomenon where things come out and they want to appeal to everyone. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that sometimes then you end up not really appealing to anyone, you know? And, or like you kind of hit this middle ground who always gets hit and they get, they can get everything else. I think it's, I think it's okay to have things that are just for X, that was specially created for that, yeah. right? So yeah. um, even when we say like, say for example in hair care and you say um this is made for curls there's like different types of curls too right so okay. if you formulate it for one end of the spectrum it's fine because mm -hmm. like 
those people will be super happy. And this place, there's a kind of like a place for for everyone. And that's that's what makes this all so interesting because everything is kind of fulfilling different needs. Yeah. Um that's kind of like the I don't know if that's a great answer. But no, it's one I think it it makes sense. It makes sense because yeah. I think that you're right. There are a lot of things that are trying to be generalist when you could just be specialist and like you know really niche down. So, right. Um, um, do you have any resources or books, you know, podcasts, anything that you think would help, you know, our audience in, I don't know, building your beauty brand or kind of connecting with the industry a little bit more, knowing, you know, stuff? Um, I don't have any specific resources. I do just have, I guess, maybe more so advice. Mm-hmm. Um, because, again, I say what I've seen within the beauty um, industry, at least in my short time here, is a lot of people who are creating brands are coming honestly from a real place of passion, right? Mm-hmm. So it's either something in their personal life or around them that they've observed that drove them to create whatever it is that to solve whatever problem it is they're trying to fix Mm -hmm. um but the best or the most successful people i've seen and starting from scratch and coming up coming up from there have understood their own limitations Mm -hmm. and brought people along that can help fill out some of the gaps and so that usually comes from the um the business side of things um and so you might be the person who you're really truly what you are is the visionary. You're the creative. You're the person who like can see these things, but you don't necessarily understand like inventory and spend yeah. and things like that. Like hire someone who knows those things, partner with someone who knows those things because you can't have one without the other. If you're going to grow and expand, yeah. if you want to go beyond, you know, a group of like friends or small community that does that. Like if you're going to really truly grow, you need to understand that and you need, or you need to have someone that understands that that can help you through that because it's it's what helps you um, stay relevant. Yeah. You know, okay. I can think of some places where you have something come out and they come out with like 13 different collections, right? And yeah. you don't think about the fact that, hey, you have all these collections that these are all these labels you have to print, right? Mm-hmm. All these different labels you have to print and hold inventory for mm-hmm. and every time something happens you have to do it for each one yeah. so the cost of keeping that going is prohibitive yeah. right yeah. or like you're like okay i'm going to do an exclusive for like xyz but that means that you can only again it's your your cost mm-hmm. right so understanding some of those things beyond the idea and getting excited about the idea um yeah i think it's super super helpful okay. and necessary okay i like that a lot thank you for that um where can our listeners connect with you online? Um, I guess LinkedIn for me is the best place. Okay. Um, I'm not really, uh, I mean, not so much a social media person, person. per se. So. Um, uh, my, my Instagram is probably more so just me and my general life, not, not really about work, work or anything so. like that. Yeah. Fair enough. Thank you so much. This was really, really helpful. This was really valuable. Thank you for, you know, giving us your time or 40 minutes of it. Okay, thanks. It was great talking to you, though. Thank you for listening, downloading, and streaming. For more inspiring conversations, head on over to isokan.ca. If you like today's show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. 
we love seeing you spread the word on social media. So if you love what you heard today, tag us on Instagram with the hashtag in Candid Fashion Podcast. Be sure to leave a rating or review. It really helps people discover the show. Remember to follow me on Instagram at isokangiwani at I-S-O-K-E-N-O-G-I-E-M-W-O-N-Y-I. That's it from me. You've been listening to Incandid Fashion. Catch you guys soon. To catch every episode, be sure to like and subscribe to the Incandid Fashion Podcast today. We're on Instagram and you can find me on the website, isokangiwani.ca. Thank you.